I get out of my car, put my phone on silent, sling my rifle over my shoulder and head out. A modern human. The place ignites with chipmunks, blue jays, red squirrels. A tattletale as old as time. My sister told me about a bobcat walking through her yard that got the same announcement. Makes me happy that they still know who I am. I take my cues from the cat and move on in, unperturbed, while the acorns rain down. It's a piece of timber company land just down the road from where I live. I spend a lot of time here. So do a lot of other people in town. All kinds of people doing all kinds of things. The place is a playground for most local folks who enjoy being outside. We could divide these folks into consumptive and non-consumptive users. We could divide ourselves further into hunters, dog walkers, bird watchers, mountain bikers, snowmobilers, and so on, but there's only so many times we can draw lines through ourselves. And then what? We're people enjoying a place. I think that's enough. It proved enough a few years ago when the land was up for sale. These people came together and gave their time and voices to the place to protect it from ownership and logging practices they thought would harm it. They fought for it and they won. They ended up with a deeded agreement that includes a land management plan that they approved and public access for traditional use in perpetuity. Forever. She's no national park and I'm glad for it. She's understated, overlooked my kind of girl. There is absolutely not one scenic lookout, but there's no entry fee. She lives right next door, and man, can she cook. She gets a choppy haircut from some loggers every few years that may turn away folks who, fla- who favor places a little more quaffed. Oh, but those tender tips of new growth, those stumps that bloom with mushrooms and give themselves up to grubs. The trails turn green in the skitter's wake with the sprouts of waiting seeds, and the edges, trimmed to clear the lane for logs, are laden with brows and berries. The pruned place yields heavy fruit, and everyone comes for dinner. The moose could live its whole life in here and never have to cross a road. This time of year it's a smorgasbord for me, and I scan the place with omnivorous eyes. I came specifically to check a wild grapevine, but I'm hoping for mushrooms and maybe a squirrel. The acorns rain down. A friend sends me a photo of four grocery bags lined up on his counter, bulging with wild mushrooms. He's just back to his apartment from a trip to his family land about an hour away. Sweet hall, I say, and then wonder aloud, what does a city person do about compost? Your whole building is going to be crawling with larvae once they start migrating out of that flesh. Shit, he says, as he peeks inside the bags and sees the migration has already begun. You can take the boy out of the woods, but... If you asked him what he does, he'd say he's the IT guy for the city's center for the arts. You know what he does in his free time? He drives home to hack away at Honeysuckle to give the native understory a chance. He creates documents called things like Cooperator's Model 
that outline his hopes for engaging his hometown in conservation through diversified land use and community. He plants chestnuts. He cares. His whole waking life revolves around this bit of marginal land. Marginal for who? It seems pretty ideal for this young man and the chestnuts he's planting, and the deer and squirrel and mushrooms he hunts. Whoever thinks this place is marginal can keep their flat poison fields of row crops and the taxes that come along with them. I have a friend in Colorado, similarly consumed by her place. Most of her food and solace are born of a single mountain range, and that's where she spends her time and attention. That's where her life is lived. If you asked her what she does, she'd say she's a librarian at the university. She knows me better than I know myself, and I like how she says things better than me. So when I was preparing to teach a class recently and losing focus on the heart of the matter, I asked her, if you wanted to talk to young people about how eating from your place is synonymous with caring for your place, is synonymous with caring for yourself when done well, what would you tell them? I just need an anchor. Remind me what I'm trying to say. I know you know. I asked for an anchor and she threw me a heavy from 10 states away, but it sure feels like we're in the same boat. Quote, and you know, I've seen a lot of posts and articles and shit lately about how insignificant our individual acts are, because most of the carbon emissions and crap is coming from large corporations, which is true. But isn't life a mind game? Doesn't it count for something if, during our wildfire season, when all our creeks dried up, I buried some cat litter pans out back and filled them with water, and put sticks in so squirrels wouldn't drown? So animals would have somewhere to drink, because otherwise, where the fuck are they supposed to go? Because I care about them being around, and I want them to be. Because seeing them makes me happy. And because doing small things like that makes me feel better about the world. I don't know if it makes a difference, really, or not. But it makes a difference to my ability to care about the world, and to be present in it. And mind-fucking ourselves into not feeling like everything is a losing battle counts for something, right? Right? Also, man, I could go down a whole rabbit trail here, pardon the dad pun, with hunting. That this desire for animals to be around and to care about a place is some subconscious acceptance that we all need each other to survive. And damn, that feels touchy-feely, right? But if other species are having a good year, it's more likely we'll have a good year, too. So it's kind of selfish. But what isn't really? But caring for your place is caring for yourself. Maybe a decade into the future. You make brush piles. Maybe you get more rabbits. Shit like that. Like Aldo said, to keep every cog and wheel is the first precaution of intelligent tinkering. We need to save all the parts. Wild places, big and small, are important parts, but we need to keep our capacity to care about them just as much. I think eating from a place is a fast track to caring. I'm not capable of altruism. I don't think you are either. Why do we love to let perfection get in the way of progress? Why is it bad to receive gifts when the bow is bending with them? What good does it do the blueberry if all you taste is guilt while you eat it? 
What good could it do the blueberry if you felt so happy for its sweetness that you made a little extra sweetness in you and gave it back in kind? Isn't that a win-win? Isn't that fair and good? Isn't that possible? Save your masochism for the bedroom. Keep your myth of scarcity out of my kitchen. This game of shame and self-denial is no fun for anyone. It's a lose-lose. You do know you have sweetness in you, right? We're only supposed to use a dash of bitters. Poison is always in the dose. Not all gifts I've given or received have been so free and easy off the bush as a blueberry. Some have shells or thorns or are buried underground. They require work. They might not kiss you on the first date, but they'll feed you all winter long. And the remembering of your work will be sweeter than any berry in July. Let's not wring our hands. What have we done? What have we done? Pick up whatever tool is nearest. Tend the part of a garden you can touch. My food comes right out of this small piece of ground. My medicine, too. And every year there seems to be more. Isn't that something? The squirrel I just shot was eating acorns from an oak tree that I visit because I also eat acorns. So does every other mammal here. The tincture that I swig every morning is made of a plant that covers the ground with silent white fireworks in springtime. And I hear them. I drink and bathe and fish in the water that runs here. My sugar pours out of these trees, and I am sweeter for it. My good dog is buried in the hill. I read an account once of a conversation between an environmentalist and a tribal elder who was living in a time and place that still allowed him to live by his ancestral skills and knowledge. The environmentalist asked what people should be doing to protect nature. The elder did not understand. They could not find a way to translate to the man the perception of people being separate entities from nature. A little confused, he could only answer, I am here. I will do whatever it takes to protect myself. Some people might interpret that in the romanticized, antiquated way we often do when we portray indigenous people. And yeah, it is our oldest romance. A person married to a place. To my modern mind, though, this love story is timeless. His response is the most rational thing a human of any time could say. The story remains the same. We are people married to a place. Always have been. Always will be. Myself and my colleagues are sometimes questioned, well, all seven billion of us can't live off of the land, can we? Sam Thayer answered best with, well, what do you think we're living off of now? I don't think eating from a place is the only way to consume it, to love it. I've been known to devour whole mountains with my eyes or suck in all the sweet fern and mane through my nose, but through the stomach is a well-worn path to the human heart. We are indisputably, cellularly made of what we consume. Our cells die and are born anew every day. 
Who are we? Where are we? We get to make that choice with how we eat. It's October here in Maine, so naturally right now I identify as an oak tree. And it feels pretty good. I walk out with the squirrel in one hand and the chipmunks gone quiet while the acorns fall and fall. I'm so happy to know who I am.